You guys can go ahead and be seated. Florence Chadwick went down in the history books as one of the the great athletes. She accomplished an athletic feat that she was the first woman to to ever do. She did a 20-mile swim from France to England across the English Channel. And it's it's an amazing accomplishment. And if you think just even today, some of the stresses that you would feel doing a swim like that, I mean, maybe you can give the gravity to it if you've ever, you know, decided to anchor a boat and swim 20 yards to shore. You're like, did I just kill myself swimming 20 yards? Like she swam 20 miles. I mean, she was, she was an athlete. She, she accomplished a lot of different feats of doing these long open water swims that would make like shark week start running through your mind. And in fact, she had boats that their job was to just watch out for sharks for her. But in one of the swims, she was going to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. And it was going to be another one of these 20 plus mile swims. And she had done this by now. Like she had set a record two years prior crossing the English Channel. This was something that she knew that she could do. But as she was out there swimming in the open water, and though she had the boats with her and the people encouraging her, a a thick fog set in to where she could only see basically to the end of her arm. And with this restricted vision, it made it really hard to tell how far she, should, she had gone. And she had been swimming for 15 hours. And towards the end of it, she began to just beg the people in the boat, just get me out. And her, her mom was there she's saying, no, you can do this. You can see it all the way through. You can make it to the end. And eventually she just stopped swimming and they had no choice but to pull her out. And as soon as she stepped foot into the boat, And she had an elevated perspective. She was no longer just right there at the sea level where the waves were walking her view. She could see the coastline was right there, right there in reach. And so often, when we're in the middle of a battle, when we're in the middle of a trial, when we're in the middle of a struggle moving towards a goal, our perspective gets limited and we get this sense of, I should just give up. And we can't see what the end looks like. And so we still think it's just so far away. And other people in the word of God would say, strive, push, continue, don't quit now. And we have this battle that our our flesh and our heart and our soul engage in that says, do I trust what I feel? Do I trust what I hear? Do I trust what God says? In the book of Revelations, Revelation, the really particular Christians, they like to jump on you about this. And if the shoe fits, wear this. But if someone says Revelations instead of Revelation, it's not really a big deal. And in fact, if you want to, I'll be like, well, it's not Revelations, Apocalypto, if you want to get particular. Like, let's talk about the Greek, you particular theological. Anyway, all right. It's not how we say it in English that matters. The book of Revelation is meant to give you an understanding of what was to come. And, and really this is, you can begin to chase your own tail trying to dissect Revelation. This is what you need to know. At the end, Jesus wins. And at the end, you want to be on Jesus' side. Like, there you go. That's what you need from Revelation. We're, we're in a series called The Story, if it's your first time with us, and you have arrived 
right at the finish line with us. I mean, it is week 31 of a 31-week series, and we as a church have studied from the very beginning of creation all the way to here, the end, Revelation. And as Revelation starts off, before we get there, I wanna, I wanna read a verse from Ecclesiastes that I believe helps set some things up as we get into this conversation about Re- the book of Revelation as well as heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. This speaks of the nature of God and what he's written into us. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. For me, that's just such a great verse as we look at this book of scripture, as we punctuate this series where we've looked at what God has done from beginning to end. Like we can't even grasp it, but this is something that's true of you and it's true of me and it's true of every single person on earth. God has set eternity into the hearts of men. And, and this truth that God has put this in us, it gets lost in the mind of our culture, but I see it so clearly. And I hope that this concept might actually give you some more compassion for how you interact with other people who are very anti-God, because I see this. It's an interesting concept. Your heart and my heart, it cries out for justice. It cries out for heaven. It cries out for eternity with God where everything is set right and everything is perfect. And it's so interesting to me because there's people who have this cry for heaven in their heart, but they reject the idea of God because they say, what about pain and suffering in the world? What about pain and suffering in the world? Like there's something in them that says pain and suffering just isn't right. And if there's a God, then then God would set pain and suffering right. And I wanna tell you, he has set it right. We brought pain and suffering into the world. We chose sin. And God sent his son to pay the penalty for death, to put death to death. He sent his son. And that desire for you, that you have in your heart to see there be no more pain, no more hospital trips, no more coffins. That cry is a cry for heaven. And it's meant to direct you. As it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, that when you see the world, there is something in you that cries out for him and the way that he sets all things right. Your heart cries out for heaven. And Revelation gives us some of the picture of this time. And Revelation can be broken up into five different sections of the book that are making declarations about who Jesus is. And at the very beginning of Revelation, this is the context for you. The apostle John has been exiled to the island of Patmos to, to live out the rest of his life. All of the other apostles have died unnatural deaths from Judas taking his own life to the other apostles being put to death in excruciating man excruciating ways, refusing to recant the name and the message of Jesus Christ. And he is the last one. And as he's there, he's been given this revelation, which means the uncovering. That's what the word revelation means. It's not anything big and scary. It's as if something was hidden behind a cloak and then it is uncovered. Revelation means to uncover. And so Jesus is uncovering this tomb. That is what we read in Revelation chapter one, verse one. Put this up on the screen. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. So who's it from? It's from Jesus. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So that's the context of this. John has been given this uncovering where he gets to see some things will happen. And so even as you read Revelation and you say, it seems like he's struggling to put these things into words. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if you just grabbed somebody from that time and just brought them to the here and now and they had to go back and explain to every, everyone what they saw and what was going on? Like people square, stare at little rectangles all day. And, and money can move from one place to another place in an instant. Like they would struggle to do it. And John tries to put into words that would make sense to other generations. And, and he struggles as he describes this. But as you look at the different ways that he teaches and, and he shares what he saw, there's lots of symbolism in Revelation. There, there's bowls of wrath. There, there, there's lots of symbolism and you have to be able to cut through and say, okay, what is being taught and what is a symbol and what is literal as you read this? And you can find all kinds of charts and graphs and timelines that people make, but I want to tell you, God has intentionally written in a way that when it happens, we will see that it lines up, but we're not going to be able to live our life forecasting what next week's theological weather is going to look like. And so even as we dive into this a little bit, I want you to be primarily concerned about what God has called you to do today. And I don't want you building compounds because of what might happen in the book of Revelation or as Jesus talked about the end of times in his teachings as well. We wanna be faithful for today. So we're gonna get into a little bit of this in Revelation chapter, chapters one through three. It, you could really summarize that first section where it, it is reinforcing that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, which is the Greek letters that are saying the beginning and the end. As you study Revelation, you will see this is painting out clearly about that Jesus and the father are one that he was Emmanuel, that he was God in flesh, and that he was the very beginning and he is the very end, that he was there, that all things, as Colossians said, was created through him, for him and by him. But not only that, that he is there at the very end, standing in judgment. Jesus is the alpha and the omega in Revelation chapter one through three. In Revelation chapter four through five, it, it teaches that Jesus is the lamb of God. For the previous generations, the Jewish people, they would bring lambs and they would bring sacrifices before God to make themselves right before God. And Revelations 4 and 5 are reaffirming that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for all time for your sin. That he has made you right in the eyes of the Father. And this is absolutely critical for your heart to grow in a healthy way as a believer. As you have to recognize that it's not about your spiritual work that earns your standing before God, but that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And so if someone's like, oh, you think you're holy? Well, hold on. <laughs> I don't think I'm any, I think my best works are like filthy rags before my heavenly father. I think I fail constantly, but I think Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And what he did on the cross for me paid for every mistake that I've ever made. And so he is worthy of me living my life for him in an extreme way. He is worthy of every change. He is worthy of breaking every addiction. He is worthy of honor in every relationship. He is worthy of me extending forgiveness to people who deserve no forgiveness. But because he's forgiven me and he's worthy, his sacrifice was enough for all of that. 
In Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, they, they further expand that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Re- Revelations chapter 6 through 18 reaffirms that he is the righteous judge. And in these chapters, he describes that there will be a faithful witness, that in a time where all of the world is turning away and it is unpopular to follow God, where there are financial constraints that are placed on those who will not go the ways of the world, that there even then will be a faithful witness. Even when they experience difficulty and Jesus eventually will set things all right that there will be battles, that there will be fighting. I, if you re- read Revelation, I think that one of the things that will stand out on the pages for you as you dive through it is that eventually it describes the violence that will happen on earth as creating rivers of blood. And that's one of the things that this book spells out. And it's one of the reasons why people move towards building bunkers that as they allow their life to be consumed by the anxiety that studying this could cause because Revelation describes the world getting worse, not better. I don't, I don't know if this is help. This, this may not be helpful, but the good old days aren't coming back. It doesn't mean that we stop fighting for righteousness sake. I think that one of the things that it means is that we just, we focus on loving our neighbors. We can't control world governments. I will theorize though, that if the church would rise up and do a better job of caring for our neighbors, if the church would rise up and pay better attention to what's happening in politics, that our nation might experience another time of growth and peace and prosperity if the church would rise up. But by the time we get to the end, things get worse and worse. In the short term, like the person who's stuck in the fog during a time like that, they're gonna look and they'll say, there's no end to this. Like there, there's no end to the wars. There's no end to the natural disasters. One of the things that Revelation is telling you is there is an end to it. And just because it gets worse than anything any previous generation has seen, it doesn't mean that God's hand is completely off of it. It means that he is allowing us to go the full course of our own decisions. He is showing you exactly what it looks like when humans follow their own will instead of the will of God. And it is a dark picture. But Jesus is shown in this to be the righteous judge who brings about righteousness. And then Revelation 19 and 20, he's shown to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will show that he has authority and power even over those who were making war and creating the worst bloodshed that the world has ever seen. He will come in and he will intervene. And what it says is if he had not intervened, that there would have been no one left because those days were so evil. And that's the description that Revelation gives in 19 and 20. And then in 20 and 22, he's described as the bridegroom, that Jesus will take the bride, his church, home to a new heaven and a new earth. And that's how you could summarize the book. And we're gonna go into um, three important factors from that, but I wanted you to have kind of a context for what the book does because as it describes heaven, we often have 
misconceptions. We have misconceptions about hell and heaven that the church has widely adopted. And so I just want to push on these buttons a little quick, a little bit as we get into some of the points that I really want to make for this. First of all, Satan is not in charge of hell. Hell is a place that is completely separated from the will of God and Satan will be cast there, but he has no authority there. He will be removed from the full blessing of God like anyone else who rejects God. But it is not a place, it is not his kingdom. It is not his. It is just a place of separation. And then heaven, uh, (laughs) this was not from my kids. This was way back when some of my other relatives were younger and I was listening to them talk and I was a young pastor at the time. And whenever, you know, I'd come around People have weird conversations around pastors sometimes because they don't know what to talk about. And even these young children, they started talking about heaven. They're like, you know what? When we get to heaven, it's going to be awesome because we, we'll get to make our own Pokemon and they'll be real in heaven. I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. That's not, not, not exactly how it's going to work. But let me tell you a little bit about how it's going to work. Heaven is not just a place where you get to do your favorite thing. Heaven is described as a new heaven and a new earth. It's... From what we see in scripture, it's not going to be vastly different from this earth, except there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more disease. There's going to be no more war. Scripture points to the fact that you're going to have a job to do in the new heaven and the new earth, that you're going to have a responsibility that's going to be meaningful, that it's going to be joyful. It's not going to just be 24-7 praise and worship, though I have a sense that even as we do work there, that there's going to be a sense of worship that is there in it. It's described that there's not going to be a sun because light is going to radiate from God himself. It's going to be different. And if you've had a sense of, um, I'm afraid I'm going to get bored in heaven, I hope that even as I bring that up, that it kind of like makes you chuckle. I'm going to go to the passage real quick. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 2, we'll put this on the screen. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He's trying to illustrate that the new heaven, the new earth, It's going to be like when everything was crystal clear here, when everything was not polluted, when things were not destroyed, when it was as it was meant to be. That it's going to be beautiful like a bride on her wedding day. It's not going to just be fluffy clouds. He uses the the imagery of precious stones and jewels because everything is so beautiful and it's accurate. it's, It's going to be breathtaking. You're going to want to be there. Not just because the other option is horrendous, And not just because there's going to be incredible views. Not just because everything will be pristine and clean and beautiful. But because the presence of God is going to be different there. Like Christians, you've experienced this, some of you. Like, can you dial your memory back to a time where you were in worship and everything else in your world faded away and you were so so strongly experiencing the presence of God. 
Now, I, I'm talking about this, and I know some of you have never been to that place, but some of you have, where it's like in that moment of worship, that it's so strong that, that you're crying and you don't care that you're crying, that you're experiencing joy. And, and other people's perspective is the furthest thing from you because the presence of God right there in your life, it's so real, it's so powerful that everything else has faded away. It's going to be stronger than that. Your best moment of worship where you felt the most peace, the most joy. That isn't even a drop of water from the ocean of the worship and the peace and the blessing that you will find in the presence of your heavenly father. There's going to be a joy that is unlike anything that you've ever, like th this, is, this is the conversation that I know happens in your head because I remember when it happened in my head as well. There's a feeling that, that we have sometimes. It's like, God, like I really, I want the return of Jesus to come. But six months from now, we scheduled a vacation to Europe and I've never gone. And a, and a soon to be bride is like, God, like I want you to come back, but I've been planning this wedding. And I look great in this dress. And, and just, just after the wedding, but the groom is like, but just after the honeymoon. <laughs> and we get that because we've experienced some sense that it's like, I don't want to miss on this part of life. Listen to me. We should just be concerned. Like, we want to make sure that we're not missing out on heaven. Because what heaven has to offer is richer, deeper, longer lasting, more joyful than anything, than anything that earth could ever offer you. And we often fall into traps of living like heaven doesn't matter. Oh, I'm gonna get on a soapbox, this wasn't in my notes. There's books out there like heaven is for real and movies like that that are like, tearjerker movies about people who die and they experience heaven and they come back and it and it's really persuasive for a lot of people do not be persuaded by the child of a six-year-old over the word of God heaven already told us scripture already told us heaven is for real we don't need someone's personal account from that story of someone leaving their body on a surgery table and coming back to it after talking with Jesus. Interesting, but not super persuasive when the word of God has already told me what it's going to be like. There is going to be a new heaven. There is going to be a new earth. And those who decided to submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus will experience it. Revelations 21 verse 3. And... The Apostle John's experience, he said, I heard a loud voice from the, the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's what heaven is like. I mean, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God would occasionally dwell with the person. It would dwell in the Holy of Holies in, in the tabernacle or in the temple once it was built. We experience a measure of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I say a measure of it because there's times where we will 
just dull and callous our senses to the fact that he's here. He's always with you when you believe, but you, you can numb down your experience and your sensitivity to him because he, he's speaking to you every day, but you learn to ignore him really well. But when you're free from this earthly tent, you will feel and experience the fullness of God in a majestic way and God will make his dwelling among you. It will be incredible. Revelations 21 verse four, Revelation 21 verse four, he further describes what this experience is like. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things. All of that cry in our heart that says, there shouldn't be this pain of separation that I feel from someone. That's the old order. Laying a friend to rest in the ground, that's the old order. Having to lock your key, lock your door before you come in for a worship service, that's the old order. Heaven is a place where all things have been set right. Where our, our mistakes are purified out of who we are and it says that God will be so intimately involved is that he says he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because we've entered into a new order, a new system, a new heaven. This is one of the beautiful things to me. And I apologize, I entered the wrong one passage twice in there. So I'm gonna read a passage to you guys, but it's gonna, we don't have it to put on the screen. It's from Revelations 22, verse one and two. It says, the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is interesting. If you were with us all the way through, or if you at least hit the very first week of the series and you get the very last one, you're gonna see uh, the, the symmetry to what God has done. At the beginning, he had to cast man out when they chose sin because of the tree of life. Because sin would infect and there'd be suffering forever in who they are. And so he had to cast them out of the garden away from the tree. And then as all things are set right and sin and death has been put to death, God establishes that that tree is now for the healing of the nations. And so if you take the whole summary of scripture, the, the very beginning that God created a garden where he was to be with man. And then he established a kingdom in the nation of Israel that led to Jesus and his ministry, his death and his resurrection, which led to the establishment of the early church, which led to the return to paradise. We started in paradise and God returns us to paradise. We started at the foot of the tree of life and we have returned to it at the end of scripture. So there's a tree at the beginning, there's a tree at the end but we're only given access back to that tree because of the tree that was in the middle. Jesus died on a wooden cross to pay for your sins and my sins, that we would not be forever separated from God. And I'm gonna go to my last verse, 22 verses 16 through 17. 
And this is really the closing heart of the passage. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the ones, one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is the message of all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that there is an invitation that has been granted and whosoever believes is invited. Whoever believes and whoever will respond to the invitation of God is invited to join the family, to be adopted as a child of God, to be forgiven of your sins, to be made new, to be a spiritually new creation. Band, if you guys make your way out, I'm gonna close this up. If you get in a conversation about the book of Revelation, you can easily begin to talk about the seals that are broken and opened. You can talk about the bowls of wrath. You can talk about what it describes of politically will happen. But if you spin your wheels on those theological arguments that will not change the way that you live your life, you're gonna miss the most central teaching of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is lifted up and that he is honored. And because of what he has done, you and your neighbor and your coworkers are invited into the family of God. That there is an answer for sin. The death has been put to death and you are invited in. So the question becomes, how have you responded to that invitation? Paul, life is hard. And the people in my family are difficult and I work in a stressful job. And so the things of God, I'll get to that later. I got hurt in the church before. I'll, I'll heal from that later. I'm afraid that in the fog, just like the swimmer at the beginning, you can't see where the end is gonna be, but there will be an end to your life and my life. And you need to swim hard until you reach the goal that God has given you. And I don't want you to waste years that you can't get back because you think that you have more time. And I don't want you to give up in the middle when there is more work that you can accomplish that God wants to do something through you. And if, it's good, and if you think life is difficult now, look at what the church goes through in Revelation and understand you are living in a great time. Revelation tells you the church can endure through the worst, the worst of persecution. May it be clarifying to you as you're running your race, swimming your race, that you can endure more than what you're experiencing right now. That God can enable you to make it through much more than even this. And that's not to say what you're going through isn't difficult, but I wanna tell you that God's grace is sufficient for you. And if you're here today and you do not have reassurance, if you are not certain that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're not certain that when you die, you will be invited into heaven's gates, I want to challenge you to take that step forward with God today. Don't let another hour go past because scripture is clear. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth 
Jesus Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He will start a spiritual work in you that will guide you, change you, and reform you. Starts with your decision and it's followed by walking in his ways. But you can start that step today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, we are thankful that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you were there at the beginning and you'll be there at the end. And so in the middle of our trial, we know that we can trust in you. In the middle of our struggle, we know that you're here. And if right now you are speaking to us, just continue to impress by your spirit on us that we need to take that step. And we thank you that as we place our faith in you, that, that you are loving and kind and gracious and that you forgive all things. And we thank you for the grace that is found in your name. Would you give us the courage and the strength to live for you in a way that would bring you honor? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?